Well, this, this man that sent me the email, he started coming on Wednesday nights. And just, just Thursday, he sent me this uh, follow-up. I'm really getting blessed at Wednesday night service. A gentleman that uh, came up to me and started to pray for me during the worship service, it was awesome. I can't believe how much the congregation cares for other people. It's so wonderful to be prayed over. It was awesome. I can't wait to be a part of the church and help out with my gifts within the church. Um, listen, this is the body being the body. Uh, that's, that's what we're called to do. And, and being a part of Wednesday night is an opportunity. Um, do you have to be here on Wednesdays? No. Uh, do you miss out? Absolutely. You do miss out when you're not here. Uh, if it's not part of your weekly schedule, I'm just telling you, uh, it is an encouragement and uh, it is a blessing uh, for those of you who, who it is a part of your weekly schedule, you understand and I just want to encourage you in that way. This year, I felt like the Lord was leading me to something a little bit different on Wednesday uh, Wednesday nights. I lost my dad uh, two years ago on the 19th of this month. And um, um, when we were home going through the details that week and, and going through the house, my brothers gave me my dad's sermon notes. And um, actually, this is it right here. Uh, there are uh, several, and I mean, when I say they're notes, they're pretty much just bullet points. <laughs> uh, and then on the back, he has where he's preached all of these messages, what date, what church, um, and uh, it's, it's interesting, uh, it's, it's a treasure for me, actually. And um, Dad was a pastor for many years, but the last 45 years of his life, he was a college president. And um, I guess the last five years uh, of his life, he was retired, but uh, he retired at age 78. He did not pastor a church, he pastored the college and, and ultimately pastored the city uh, to, to a fair degree. But he traveled every weekend as a Christian college that uh, uh, got support from the fellow churches uh, in the denomination. And he had a, a, a number of churches that, in fact, my whole life, uh, he was gone uh, at least three quarters of the weekends as I was raised, uh, just traveling around the country preaching. Um, he did not teach expositionally uh, like we do here, verse by verse. He had a number of topics that he preached on, and uh, they're just uh, across the, the Bible, throughout the Bible. And um, like I say, they're not notes like, like I will write out my sermons. Uh, he just had bullet points. The story goes, when he was uh, first in ministry, he was a chaplain at a, a mental health hospital, and he found very quickly that if he did not keep eye contact with his congregation there, he lost them. And so he learned very quickly to just speak from some bullet points. And uh, so for me, they're a treasure. I last summer when Denny Duran was here for Leadership Weekend, I was sharing this with him. And I'm like, yeah, I really don't know what to do with this. And he said, you need to keep it alive. And so I decided uh, December 29th was our first um, Robert Spence sermon series, if you will, Steve Spence style. Um, today I wanted to share one 
that I believe is especially important for us this year and give you a taste of what you can expect on Wednesday nights this year. Um, This morning, I want to talk to you about decisions. Decisions. As we settle into the new year, I wonder how many of us are going to be faced with some decisions this year that can set a new course for your life. In his article, Great Choices of Strategic Leaders, Dr. Joel Humans of Roberts Wesleyan College states that the average American adult makes as many as 35,000 decisions every day. 35,000 decisions every day. Now, some of those are seemingly insignificant, like this morning when I chose to snooze my alarm (laughs) clock. Do I wear a gray shirt or do I wear a brown shirt? But other decisions can change the course of your life. Last week, we saw the impact of a lifelong walk with the Lord and how God provides for people who hear his voice, who obey him, who trust him, and who worship him. Uh, As we saw this uh, episode in Abraham's life, we also saw that his son Isaac did not enjoy the same walk with the Lord that his father did. But there's another man in Abraham's life who had similar opportunities to know God. He saw God's favor and blessing, but it was much different than his uncle Abraham. It's this nephew of Abraham's. His name is Lot. We first see Lot in chapter 12 of Genesis as Abram chooses to follow God. In verse 4, it says, Abram went and, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Now, Lot is someone that most of us can relate to, and I'll tell you why. Because Lot had an uncle who knew and served God. For me, it was my parents and their parents. Um, For you, it may be similar, maybe a parent, maybe a grandparent, maybe a spouse, maybe someone else that's close to you. But regardless of who is in your life, it's someone who has a genuine relationship with the Lord and they have exposed you to him. And that exposure has a ripple effect on you too. But here's the deal. That relationship that that individual has is between them and God. It's not between you and God. You are exposed to it and there's an effect on you But at the end of the day, you're responsible for your own relationship with God, not somebody else's. There's an important factor that influences the decisions that you make, which you too are responsible for your own decisions, and that's this one word, character. As we look at Lot, we will begin to see just a glimpse of what this man's character was all about in chapter 13 and verse 8. Here's Abram and Lot. Their herds have grown. There's been great blessing and favor, provision on their life. There's had this ripple effect from Abraham to his nephew Lot. And they've just outgrown the land that they're in. And so Abram says to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herds and mine, for we are close relatives. 
Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Now we see, again, that ripple effect because Lot has experienced great blessing in his life because of his relationship with Abram. Sadly, the devil can use that to mislead us, to think that we're safe because we're close to someone who knows them. How many, how many people uh, have you come across? I know I have. You talk to him about the Lord. Oh yeah, my grandma. Oh, I can tell you. I know all about it. My dad's real religious. And so there's this false sense of security because you know someone and perhaps you've even experienced some of the ripple effect of the blessing of God on their life and you think that that automatically extends to you. Verse 10, Lot looked around. He saw the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zoar was well watered like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abraham lived in the land of Canaan while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. The Lord had said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, look around from where you are to the north and the south, the east and the west, all the land that you see I will give you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the length and the breadth of the land for I'm giving it to you. And so Abram went to live near the green trees at Mamre and Hamron. And he pitched his tents there and he built an altar to the Lord. So again, we see that life of Abram of worship and thanksgiving. The next time we see Lot is in this next chapter 14. And it's after the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah and three other territories have been overtaken and attacked by four different territories. Verse 12 says that Lot was swept up into it as well. They carried off Abram's nephew Lot and his possessions since he was living in Sodom. Now, Abram, once again, we see this protection, this favor, this ripple effect, because Abram puts together a small army of trained men of his household, and they go, verse 16, and recover all the goods and his relative Lot and all of his possessions with the women and the other people. Again, don't be fooled because Lot was not living for the Lord. He was making decisions that were outside of God's ultimate will for his life. Now, we saw in John chapter 15 a promise in verse 7, it says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. As a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have a promise of answered prayer. Now, that doesn't mean that your prayers are always going to be answered the way you want them. Okay? There's a progression to provision. We see that in the Lord's prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done 
in my life as it is in heaven, give us this day. So, you, you know, as, as you are praying, even in, in line with this, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, the highest probability is, or you certainly have a high probability of then asking for things that are in line with the will of God. In 1 John chapter 5, it says this, this is the confidence that we have in approaching God that if we ask anything, look at it according to his will, he hears us. And if we know he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. There is a promise of answered prayer to the believer. But let me tell you this, to the non-believer, there is no promise. If you are not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can pray all day long to the man upstairs with no expectation of answered prayer. In Genesis chapter 18, the Lord comes to Abram and he tells him that his wife Sarah will have a child. The back half of that chapter, God tells Abraham that he's going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And then Abraham, it's, it's an interesting conversation that he has with God because his, his heart aches, perhaps partly because he knows he's got family there. And he says, but you know, God, if there's 50 righteous people, would you, would you still destroy it? And God says, no, I wouldn't. Well, what if there's 45? Would you still? No, I won't. Well, how about 40? He gets all the way down to 10. If there's 10 righteous people, will you spare the city? And God says, yes, I will. Sad part about it is there wasn't. There wasn't 10 righteous people in all of Sodom and Gomorrah. In the next chapter, God does destroy it. Now, I want you to think about this. Lot has followed his uncle from their homeland. He has been divinely blessed of the Lord. He has uh, had favor. He has possessions that have grown beyond anything he has deserved. He has been miraculously rescued from captivity. But after all of this, look at how the next chapter begins. Chapter 19, the two angels arrive at Sodom in the evening and Lot was sitting in the gateway of the city. Now, why would that be important? Well, I'll tell you why. In that day, in that culture, what this would mean is that Lot is now a city official sitting at the gate of the city, welcoming people into his city. So Lot has gone from taking a mission trip, a, a, a step of faith to leave his hometown where he has no idea, he's followed his uncle, who is a man of faith, a man of courage, a man of God. He's experienced all of these blessings and yet he finds himself now leading a city that God is about to destroy. And look at the kind of people that he's leading. Verse four, before they had gone to bed, all the men from every part of the city of Sodom, both young and old, surrounded the house. 
they called Lot. Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. Wow. This is why we have children's ministry, by the way. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> Talk to your mother. <laughs> These are the people that Lot is leading. Now, I also want you to remind you, um, God's agreed not to destroy this city if there were at least 10 righteous people and there wasn't. But this next few verses here gives us some insight into how warped Lot's mind has become. Verse six, Lot went outside to meet them. He shut the door behind him and said, no, my friends, don't do this wicked thing. Do this wicked thing. I have two daughters who have never slept with a man. Let me bring them out to you so that you can do what you like with them. Don't do anything to these men because they've come under the protection of my roof. Yeah, I read that and I'm like, well, what about your daughters? Are they not under your protection? You see, decisions in life have a way of not only setting the course of your life, but absolutely warping your mind. Get out of our way, they replied. This fellow, love that word in the Bible, fellow, <laughs> came here as a foreigner and now he wants to play the judge. See, he may be a city official, but there's no respect for him. We'll treat you worse than them. They kept bringing pressure on Lot and moved forward to break down the door. Now, Lot realizes what's happening. It's like the light comes on. It's like that prodigal stun when he came to himself. And some people need concrete to get their attention. A hard thud. You can't dig any deeper. And that's Lot. Verse 12, the two men, that's the angels, said to Lot, do you have anyone else here, sons-in-laws, daughters, sons, anyone else in the city who belongs to you, get them out of here because we're going to destroy this place. The outcry of the Lord against this people is so great that he sent us to destroy it. But Lot's reputation is so tainted that even his own family won't listen to him. Verse 14, Lot went out and he spoke to his sons-in-law who were pledged to be married to his daughters. Hurry and get out of this place because the Lord is about to destroy the city. His sons-in-law thought he was joking. Again, you've got Abraham's grace, I would submit to you, extending through Abraham to Lot, certainly not because of Lot's righteous life. Verse 15, with the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, hurry, get your wife, your two daughters out of here. 
or you'll be swept away. But Lot's own conscience is now seared to a degree because look at it, verse 16, he hesitated. I don't know. Is it really? Won't God give me one more chance? And when he hesitated, the men grasped his hand and the hands of his wife, his two daughters, and led them safely out of the city for the Lord was merciful to them. As soon as he brought them out, one of them said, flee for your lives, don't look back, don't stop anywhere in the plain, flee to the mountains or you'll be swept away. But Lot said to them, I mean, he's trying to negotiate. No, please. I can't do that. That's too much. Give me something else to do. As the father goes, men. As the father goes, so goes the family. Verse 23, by the time Lot reached Zoar, the sun had risen over the land. The Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, destroying those who lived in the cities and all the vegetation. But his wife looked back. You see, he had led his wife and his family to a place where she now loved the things of this earth more than the things of God. The tragedy comes to a, I mean, it it doesn't get any better. It gets worse. Because now Lot and his two daughters are living in a cave. His daughters are saying, well, this is the way it's going to end. We don't have any, there's no hope for us in our family line. And the older one has an idea. Verse 33, Genesis 19, that night they got their father drunk and the older daughter went in and slept with them. And he wasn't even aware of it. The next day, the older daughter said to the younger one, Last night I slept with dad. Let's do it again. And then you can go sleep with him so we can preserve our family line. And so they got their father drunk again. The younger daughter went in and slept with him and he didn't even realize it. So both of Lot's daughters became pregnant by their father. And the older daughter had a son named Moab He's the father of the Moabites. The younger daughter had a son named Ben-Amini, and his father, he is the father of the Ammonites today. And those two groups of people were thorns in the side of God's people for centuries. So much so that God sent a curse down on those people You can find it in Deuteronomy chapter 23. No Ammonite or Moabite or any of their descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord, not even to the 10th generation. Essentially, 
They're beyond salvation. And all of that carnage, let me just say this. All of that carnage can be traced all the way back to one decision. One single decision in your life can radically change the course of your life. And in Lot's case, it was a, a decision that was rooted in selfish desire and pride. Lot chose for himself. And the consequences were beyond anything he could ever, ever imagine. Did he set out to go live in Sodom? No, I don't think so. Did he really plan to become a city leader in the most wicked city, uh, essentially of history? One of the most disgusting crimes that we have on the books today in the United States of America is named after one of these towns. That's how bad. Did he plan to do that? No. And here's what we know about Lot and his potential. He was exposed to spiritual things. He came from a family with a spiritual heritage. His uncle was the father of our faith. He was a friend of God. He experienced material blessing and favor from God, tangible. And he received undeserved grace and protection from God. That's what we know. The worship team can come. Today I want to give you five questions that you can ask yourself as you come up against decisions in life. The first is this, how will this decision affect me spiritually? If I make this decision, and, and I mean, it, it doesn't have to be, if I, establish, if I start to, you know, if I establish a really start a friendship, a relationship with this coworker, it doesn't have to be that. Could be as simple as, if I buy this new car, if I get this boat, looking at a piece of property up north, that vague thing in Wisconsin, my place up north, wherever that is. When Lot made a decision to pitch his tents toward Sodom, he had no idea the direction that that would take him spiritually. 
second. If I make this decision, what will my next decision be? If I take this job, and, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a step in the right direction, there's a promotion here for me, I'm gonna take this job. But you see what happens is where you were, you were in a stable, known, schedule, relationships, this new one, perhaps you have to make a decision on I'm gonna work Sundays or I'm gonna work on, and now I have to work 60 hours a week instead of 40 hours a week. And, and so now, I, or I bought this boat and, and you know, I didn't realize I was gonna to have to then take on all these other expenses that come along with the boat and, and, and now I've gotta use it because I have a boat and the only time I have is on the weekends. And next thing you know, you've, you, this one decision has led to these decisions in your life. Third, how will others be affected? How will this decision influence the people around me? I take this promotion and, and, and now all of a sudden I'm not home like I used to be. Now all of a sudden I can't make it. And listen, I'm, uh, being here on Sunday night or Wednesday nights, that, 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 that's not salvific, okay? But that, that doesn't mean you're not saved. Doesn't mean, but let me tell you something. When you're in the world, I need to be here on Wednesday night just for to be filled up so I can be poured back out. But listen, you take, you take some, you, you make this decision and now all of a sudden you're not there. Dads, let me tell you something. Your family looks to you for spiritual guidance. You are the spiritual leader. And that's not a sexist thing. That's a Bible thing. That is a natural God-given law. And when you're not here, you know what your kids say? Your boys Eddie, let me tell you something. Let me tell you what your son says. When, when, when you're not, when the, when the spiritual leader of your home isn't at church, your son says, how old do I have to be to not have to go to church? Because church is for women and children. Paul, that's what your kids think. You guys are having a child. And Mike, that child will look to you and the decisions that we make doesn't just affect us. It affects everyone around us. And it bleeds into this fourth one. If I make this decision, how will it affect my testimony? What are the people around me going to think? There's people around you who watch you. You're Christ's ambassador. God's planted you in a place where you can expand his kingdom. And the decisions of life, we saw a lot
with zero spiritual influence on the people around him. And his sons-in-law didn't believe him. I'll tell you why. Because he didn't live it out. Talk's cheap. Talk's cheap. And the people that are closest to you see the reality the most. It's the most vivid to them. The final question is this. How will this decision influence my view of God? How many people do we come across who've made a terrible decision in life? And it worked out exactly the way it was bound to. You can, I'll just tell you right now, you do this and, you know, you can do it. But here's what's going to happen. This, 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 and this. And when all of that happens, who do they blame? God. As if it was God's fault that you made a terrible decision with your life. When the wisdom was there, when the counsel was there, when the opportunity was there for you to make a good decision, you made a terrible decision. Why? Because you chose for yourself. And you look at the wake behind you and then you, instead of looking in the mirror for who's really to blame, you blame the one who's right there giving you, you know, it's that joke, the person in the boat, right? Drowning, got a hole in the bucket. The helicopter comes, the boat comes, somebody comes. I'm waiting for God, waiting for God, waiting for God. And they die. And God says, well, I sent you a helicopter, I sent you a boat, I sent you all these people. Yeah, but I was waiting for you to do it. Duh. You know, we, we, we laugh at that. Why? Because we all know that guy. Dumb as a box of rocks. And whose fault is it? Theirs. Here they are. How will this affect me spiritually? Me, spiritually. What's the next decision going to be? How are other people going to be influenced by this decision? What's my testimony going to look like after I make this decision? How is this going to influence my view, my relationship with God. Now, inevitably, in a congregation this size, I am speaking to some people who are sitting in the wake of some bad decisions. And for some of you, it was before you knew the Lord. You were, that was BC. You didn't know. For some, it's after. And then you hear a story like Moabites and the Ammonites. You're like, am I cursed? Am I, I'm really, am I having to deal with this for the rest of my life? One of the greatest things about our God is he is a restorative God. If God couldn't work with broken people, he couldn't work with anybody. And we hear the, that, 
you know, there's, no, there's not even 10 righteous people. You know, the truth is none, there's no one righteous, not even one, right? In the book of Matthew, the, Matthew opens up with a genealogy of Jesus Christ. And it's, uh, I mean, you really have to spend some time to get a lot out of it. But here's something, verse five, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse, the father of King David. Ruth and Rahab are two of the four women, I believe, in this genealogy. And Ruth has a book in the Bible named after her. And she's actually known as Ruth the Moabite. And she ends up being the great-grandmother of King David. And God is such a restorer of people that he takes Ruth this Moabite and he grafts her in to the genealogy of our Messiah. So you may be sitting here with a terrible decision that you're faced with and I'm just, it feels like I'm talking to you. Ugh. Did you have to make fun of me today? You know who God, God has a prerequisite to restorative grace, it's this one word, humility. It's saying, I made a mistake. And I need you to forgive me and restore me. And you know what God would say to you? Here's what I want to do today. I'm, I would like to uh, just do something a little bit different in this way. If you are facing a decision right now, there's something going on in your life right now, and you got a decision to make, would you be bold enough to stand right now? Somebody. pray right now for, for those of you standing in this room. Maybe, maybe it's a job change. Maybe it's a school decision. Maybe it's a relationship decision. Maybe it's a financial decision. Something's going on right now and you need the Lord's help. Dear Heavenly Father, God, you are a good God and you care deeply about us. And I believe that this is a word specifically for these people standing right now who are faced with a decision to make. Father, I just pray right now for a, a supernatural peace to come upon them. First and foremost.
Lord, I pray for godly counsel to enter their lives. That you would give them ears to hear and a heart to listen. And God, I pray for confirmation of your will and for your hand of blessing and favor to follow them. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and be seated because there's somebody else I want to talk to. This is a bigger risk. You're living right now in the wake of a decision that you made. And you feel like a Moabite and an Ammonite who's, who's has God's hand against you right now. And you need to hear this, that God loves you. He wants to help you. And he just needs you to come to him humbly and let him do something miraculous in your life. And I'm asked if that's you, I'm asking you to stand. Is anybody here today? Praise God. It's awesome. standing here, I'd just like for you to lift your hands right now as a sign of dependence because you have a heavenly father that loves you so much that he died for you and he's been waiting for you just to take a step of humility. That's what this is. That's just standing up and saying, God, I need your help. I can't do this on my own. And I'm willing to admit I've made some bad decisions along the way. And I'm not asking for an excuse and I'm not gonna give you an excuse. I'm just asking for your forgiveness. First and foremost, I come before you humbly. I'm asking for you to forgive me. And let me tell you something, this is super important. I need you to say this, I accept. I accept your forgiveness. Now, Lord, across this room, there are people who are in the midst of a wake of of decisions. And now, Lord, I'm asking for your grace and for your mercy. Step into this situation.
make something beautiful, Lord, I pray, out of a seemingly hopeless situation. You can work a miracle. Now, I'm asking for you to do it. I know that you can. I'm asking that you will in Jesus' name.